this morning. Thanks for joining us for this worship service. And I see somebody here that I visited in the hospital this last week. I think his name is Glenn. He's already taken notes. <laughs> hey, bud, good to see you out, out of there. I knew you were going to get out soon. I don't mean to embarrass you. He's my friend. All right, let's see here. Let's see, where are we going? You know, this term, fake news, have you heard of that? You heard of it? I hope you're not spreading it. Fake news? I'm sure you're not. But, it, you know, it's in the news. About The news has news about fake news these days. Uh, it's kind of strange. My wife was telling me some time ago, just in the last couple of weeks, she said, it is hard to, to know sometimes, who do you believe? What, what source do you trust about this political event or this catastrophe or this issue? It is difficult with all of the information we have at our fingertips these days to know at times what's the whole story? What's the story behind the story? You know, fake news. But you know, it's, though it's a new term perhaps, this terminology of fake news is fairly recent in our culture, in our time. Fake news has been around for a long time. I want you to think about that, how that is true. It's been around a long, long time. It really has. There's a, according to scripture, there's a purveyor of fake news by the name of the devil, Satan. He's been telling lies his whole, his whole time here on this earth. He, uh, he's in the business, the fake news business, and has been from the beginning. Jesus said of the evil one, he said, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and quite a name Jesus gives him. He says he's the father of lies. Lies go back to him. He's the originator of the lie. And he's still at it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, refers to the devil being finally done away with, which hasn't happened yet, but his doom is, is, is certain. The, the, the reference says this, Revelation 12, 9, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. God has pronounced the verdict, the final judgment upon the evil one. That's coming. But until that comes in its fullness, we still have to deal with the fact that he's real, he exists in the world, and his purpose is to deceive and to lie, and that's natural to him. And a half-truth is something he's good at, just enough to, to hoodwink people. So there's a lot in the Bible about deception, and it starts really with the evil one. But the scripture also talks just about how people, people will deceive other people, especially in the last days, which are now upon us. The Apostle Paul to young Timothy said this, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and then even being deceived themselves as they're deceiving others. Think, think with me as you look at those scriptures today, what they're really saying. Deception's a real deal. There's a, there's a spiritual force in the world that is pushing deception around us and upon us. There are people who are deceived themselves and are deceiving other people. And the scriptures say that it can affect us. Jesus said this. He said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, those who have faith in Christ. That's most of us in this place here today. He's saying, be careful. There'll be people that will do things in my name that will look like they're the real deal, but they're really not. They're deceiving. So we need discernment. We need to be thoughtful about what we're believing. And 
This is all going somewhere here, my introduction. Here's a final form of dangerous deception. Not what the devil does to us, not what the society does to us or other people in society, how they might try to deceive us, but the Bible says that we can be self-deceived. We can do this to ourselves. We can, we can have false beliefs that we live our life by that are creating nothing but havoc or frustration in our lives. We're back to Galatians chapter 6 today, and I want you to see that of the various types of deception that I've just mentioned to you, the Apostle Paul, I believe, is, is certainly settling in on this one here in Galatians chapter 6. Just the first couple of verses uh, from where we left off last week. Last week we were at Galatians 6, 6, so 7 and 8. I'm, I'm letting you use the screen here if you didn't bring your Bible, but I hope you bring your Bible because it's even better than looking at it on a screen. Then you know where you're going with it. You just get familiar with it. Here's what Paul says, the Apostle Paul. Do not be deceived. Keep in mind, he's speaking to believers. So in other words, uh, it's, it's, it's a given that people who believe in Jesus can still be deceived people about different things. Now think about context. What has Paul been talking about, especially in the previous chapter? He's been challenging us to walk by the Spirit, to not satisfy or, 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 or feed the, the derives of our lower nature, what he called the flesh. He says, live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill or gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, you'll actually show forth the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. And so now he's bringing his readers to a decision point here in chapter 6. The, his little letter to them, the letter to the Galatians, is almost over. And he's just zeroing in on them and he's saying, friends, don't be deceived. He's bringing all of this background about the fruit of the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh to a focus. And he says this, you better sow to the Spirit and don't sow to your old nature. That's really what he's saying here. And he goes, he goes uh, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Truth is truth. His, all truth is God's truth. And I've given you truth. And he says, don't mock it. Don't, don't mimic uh, the world which mocks God at every twist and turn. Don't, don't do that. Don't sow to the flesh and think you can get away with that. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You ever met a farmer that planted, uh, that planted sugar beets and expected to get uh, tomatoes? Of course not. Throughout agrarian history, we know it doesn't work that way. If you're a gardener, if you have a vegetable garden, you don't plant potatoes and expect to get cucumbers out of those plants. You're going to get what, whatever was planted. You're going to get it, hopefully, in abundance, a lot more than the seed or the, the little piece of, 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 of seed that went into the ground. It's going to grow, but you're only going to get what you planted. And Paul uses that most basic agrarian metaphor to say, your spiritual life is like that, you Galatians, and you dear people at First Baptist Minot. God's truth has got to be followed. It's got to be applied or you're going to be deceived. You can't live as though it doesn't matter what you do with the Word of God, with the Scripture. You know, the, uh, the human capacity for self-deception is really pretty frightening. Have you ever found yourself saying one of these two things? I will not have to reap a harvest from the seeds I sow. I can just do whatever. That verse, it might be in the Bible, this Galatians 6, 7, and 8, of course it's in the Bible, but it doesn't really apply to me. I can just do what I want. I can live like, like I please, and nothing's really going to happen. I'm not really going to reap the bad consequences from some bad decisions if I'm sowing to the flesh, as Paul talked about in Galatians 5. 
And Paul is warning us if we're in that kind of frame of mind, saying, don't be deceived. Don't be self-deceived. He says, you will. You will reap what you sow. You'll reap it later than you sowed it, and you'll reap it in a greater abundance than you planted it. And he's saying, that's the deal. So don't do it. Now, a Christian is not in danger of reaping ultimate corruption, if you will, what the Bible would call corruption, and that is death, final separation from God, because Jesus Christ has purchased our souls. But that doesn't mean that there's no more cause and effect things going on in our lives. If I'm not living by the Spirit in my home life and in my work life, if I'm not aspiring to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, I'm probably sowing seeds to the flesh. And guess what? The consequences are going to be real. I'm going to reap from that pain and shame and frustration. And that's what Paul is trying to save us from, from them, and he's trying to save them from that and from us. He's saying, be careful with what I've said. He's bringing it all home to them. Don't mock God by just listening to his word, but then thinking, that doesn't affect me. I don't really have to listen to that, but you better listen to that. (laughs) Isn't that our human nature? To say, I can sow whatever seed I want, and I can still expect a good harvest. That's dreaming, man. That's dreaming. And, And that's our human capability to believe that. We can't do that. We can't live loosely with God's word, with his truth that he has revealed to us. We're accountable for it. And you think, I hope that makes you a little nervous. It really makes me nervous. Because God's word in James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Brothers, let not many of you be teachers, for we shall receive the stricter judgment. That means I'm accountable for everything I've ever said to you. And everything I've ever said about this book to you. And everything I've ever taught, God's going to hold me accountable at a higher level than somebody who didn't do that. That used to scare me. I mean, it, it humbles me. It still, still puts a little fear in me. Because I take it seriously. And I want to hear the word, and I want to teach the word, and I don't want to mislead or be misled. The psalmist said, your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. How, how do we discern between what's fake news or false and what's real in life? We follow the word, the words of God, the scriptures. We trust the scriptures. We give ourselves to the book of God, to, to learning it. We study the word to know what is real in order to know what is not true. To counter deception in your life, whether it's self-deception, satanic deception, societal deception, to counter that, to think clearly, to, to have a, a, the mind of Christ alive in you, is to fill your life with the full counsel of God's word. Now, Easier said than done, but not impossible. Some of us know that uh, Scripture reading can at times be laborious, can be a little dry and dusty. If you're reading a genealogy of people whose names you can hardly pronounce, you go, why am I reading this? Or what's the value in doing this? And Is this really important? And yet I, 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 I present to you, yes, it all works together. And the more you study it, the more it interprets itself and you see the connections and, and it gives you life. And reading the Bible whether you feel like you're, it's hitting you at the moment with great insights and revelation or whether you don't feel that happening, you don't go by your feelings, your experiences in the Christian life if you really want to grow. You just live by the truth of the Lord's word. You ascribe yourself to it. It's like taking spiritual vitamins every day. Anybody here ever take vitamins out of your, uh, if you're a vitamin person, you ever take those vitamins out of your medicine chest in the morning, you pop a few of them, and man, before you're even out of the bathroom or the kitchen, wherever you took your pills, you're just like a whole new person. You're just transformed by the vitamins. You say, wow, am I ready to go now? I've never had that experience. And maybe I'm taking the wrong vitamins. 
Do you know, when you read the word of God, you might be sitting there lingering in it for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, saying, oh, I want to go back to bed. I don't know about this right now. Or, or I got this other pressure going on for me. I got stuff chiming at me and talking to me. And it's like, it's really hard to stay focused. I don't think I'm alone in that. But when I dwell there long enough and I linger in the word of God and I let it get to my heart, I got some spiritual vitamins in me. And then as I go through the day, I might sense more than I did in the morning or whenever I had that quiet time, I will sense the strength of it. It's like vitamin. It's just releasing its, its energy, its vitamin into you throughout the day. I believe the word is much like that. So we don't read it to just say, oh, give me a feeling or, or I'm not getting anything out of this, but we read it because we know that it's our life. It's our lifeline. to tr- It is truth, and it helps us understand the mind of God, and it has a way of, of fueling up our spirit so we can live courageously for the Lord in that very day in which we're living in. It's so awesome. And yet, some of us here today would say, man, I just don't have time to study the Bible. You don't know how busy I am. Well, I'm sure you're busy. I don't think, I don't know too many people that aren't busy. But you know, a lot of us consume hours and hours and hours of time in front of screens, now, sometimes those are work screens, but many times they're play screens. And, you know, I'm not picking on this stuff, but I'm saying, I'll, I'll give you a statistic here, see if this doesn't kind of make you say, well, really? We can look at screens all day long, some of it probably not building our spirit up much, but it's just taking our time. One report that I came across this last week suggests that by the time the typical American student graduates from high school, and I'm not picking on students here because I think this would be just as true for older people, one report, the one I'm quoting, suggests that the typical American student, when he graduates or he, she graduates from high school, that student will have spent more than 30,000 hours in front of a screen, including video games, TV, and computers. The same report says that it takes the average person, if they want to read through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, about 80 hours. So 30,000 hours, or 80 to get through the word of God. You could just do that math pretty quick and say, you know what, we've got time to read the word of God. It's just we need to do something else less so that we can truly read it and feed on what it has for us. We have time. It's really a matter of how we choose to use it. It's a matter of what we can say no to because we need to read the word. You know what, in this church, we like to start young with teaching God's word. And many of you know we're in Awana church. Did you know, some of you probably didn't know this, the Awana ministry has derived its name from 2 Timothy 2.15. It's on your screen, so let's, let's read it together here. Let's say it together. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So the Lord has put his word in your hands He's put it on your devices. He's put it in your heart and your mind. And now he says, he says, in that verse alone, he says, do your best with it. Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. And so we need to read the Bible to learn from our Bible. And, you know, we had a couple of neat, I mentioned earlier today, we had a couple of neat testimonies of people who came to faith early on, of course, in their life. Uh, Tom and Julie Smezrud, they shared their stories at the first service today. I love hearing testimonies. I think most of us do here. You know, if there's one little danger in hearing a testimony, you know what it is? I just thought about this recently. I've been listening to people's testimonies for a long time, and I love it. But you know what you don't want to do? 
You don't want to, you don't want to allow people's testimonies to, to be that sole thing that gets you encouraged in your faith walk with Jesus. Then you're living off somebody else's experiences of God. Think about that. You don't want that. It builds you up. That's wonderful. It's truth, what Jesus did through, through his gospel to change a life. But if you're just a, a Christian that is not feeding yourself in the word and just relying on other people's experiences of God to feed your life, then you're just always looking somewhere else. And people are people. We're, we're fallible and we're broken and we have warts and ugly parts of us, but the word of God is true, it's pure, it's consistent, and it's the one that, it, we want the testimony of the word, don't we? But that takes your, your effort, friend. It takes my effort. And so we need it in these last times to be, to be really reading the word. Sound teaching leads to good sowing, to bring us back here to Galatians 6. You want to sow to the Spirit, as Paul said. You want to be careful to not be deceived, self-deceived. Then get sound teaching in your mind and your heart daily. It'll lead you to good sowing. You'll know where to throw your seed, if you will. You'll know how to sow to the Spirit when you're in the Word of God, which is written by the Holy Spirit. And then good sowing leads to joyful reaping. There's a very positive text here. Galatians 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. It's a very positive text. And so I want you to take it as that, to see it as that. But we live in difficult days, and they're going to get harder, where truth, the truth of God, is going to be mocked. It's more and more, and, and there are people that, that will mock it. Even in this community, there would be people who would make fun of us as a church because we believe in the Bible as the Word of God. We stand for life. We don't promote same-sex marriage. We take stands that we believe are biblical, and we're going to take more heat for that in the days ahead than we've ever, ever taken, so get ready. In the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. And friends, you've probably heard this before, but let me say it. You can take the Bible, and you can twist it, and you can make it say anything you want it to say. You can take one verse out of context and say, well, Jesus says, you know, we're to love all people. Of course he meant that. But he didn't compromise truth when he said that. We are to show people, his word shows people rather, how to live their lives the most productively and who they're made to be. And so we can make Jesus, though, into this sympathy figure that he's not. We can make him into a truth teller that, is, that shows no mercy or grace. Friends, we need the full counsel of God's word. I hope that's not news to you today, but if it is, you take it to heart. You need the whole counsel of God's word. You need a daily life with it, a daily interaction with it, and not just living off of what you hear on a Sunday or in a testimony. That's just a, a catalyst to push you deeper. The people that the Apostle Paul is addressing back here in the book of Galatians, they were caught up under false teaching that led them to legalism. The Christian life, it's an opportunity. It is the ultimate opportunity, really, to live in true freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And he says, if, 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 you're, if the Son has made you free, you are free indeed. But even Christians can get caught up in legalism. And if you turn with me in your Bible back to chapter 1 here of the very book we're in, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, I just want you to see how Paul started out of the, out of the gate talking to them about legalism. And he's not using that word here, but that's really the concept. And I don't want to preach... My word, I want to preach the word. So here's, here's what, I'm, what I want you to see. Paul says, chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They, were falling under, they had fallen under false teaching. And he says, not that there is another one, verse 7, but there are some, that's a reference to false teachers, who were promoting legalistic teaching. 
There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. People want to take the truth and switch it, switch it up, change it up for whatever reason, selfish reasons, other reasons. And that church that Paul writes to, these Galatian believers, they, were, they had succumbed to the false teaching. And then he says in verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, salvation through faith in Christ and him alone, he said, let that person be accursed. Then he repeats it, verse 9. That's really tough. But that's how stern he feels about this. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be cut off from God. Wow, that's heavy. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Is my religion about pleasing men and doing what they say or understanding the truth of God and living in the freedom that he gives me? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Legalism is strict adherence, especially to the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. In a theological context, it is false doctrine teaching us that salvation is gained through our works. If that were true, as the Galatians were led to believe it was true, then how do you ever know if you've done enough good works, if at the end of your days you're going to stand before God and be forgiven? But it doesn't depend on what you do for Jesus. Your salvation depends on what he's already done for you. Live in that truth, Paul says. Don't veer from that truth. So legalism is a way, is, is a, is a way to... To, to lose our liberty. If we fall into that, let's be careful to avoid legalistic teaching. But at the opposite end of the spectrum, from legalism, is something, uh, well, it's another word I'll use, called liber libertinism. And that is saying, well, truth is, uh, is, is so subjective, and truth isn't really knowable by everybody. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm just going to live my faith life as I feel I should. I'm going to live it according to my best judgment, my best opinions, and, and uh, I believe a lot in grace. And so truth, well, truth is what I think it is. And it's, listen, libertinism is disregard of authority uh, or co convention in religious matters, and that's a real issue in our day. In this city, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, there are churches who, and I'm not naming names, I don't feel the need to do that, and I'm not trying to make us look better than anybody else. All I'm going to say is that there are churches, there are religious societies or organizations in this city that will not teach the Bible as the Word of God and will twist it to let people follow whatever they think is best and right, according to worldly ideas. Those churches will probably get bigger, and churches like this will get smaller because it's easier on the ears. To think, man, I can live however I want to live for God. And Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. His truth is his truth. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. We need to come back to, to this. We don't want to be legalistic thinkers. We certainly don't want to be libertine thinkers like the Corinthian congregation. If you say, give me an example from the Bible, I'd say the Corinthian congregation. They were known for their raunchiness. They had such immorality going on within their, within their ranks that the Apostle Paul wrote the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians, and he said, among other things to them, he said, man, he said, you got stuff going on in your church life that is more, more of a debauchery than the, than the society has. You're doing stuff that's worse than what the pagans do who have no relationship with God. That's a libertine kind of an attitude. So a Christian says, oh, I don't want to just play loose with truth and think God is, is for all things when he's not. He is truth, and what is his, he wants me to know his moral nature and his moral truth. But in order, I want to be a legalist and just have no grace. And So these are extremes to avoid. 
How do you sow to the Spirit? Credit John MacArthur for these. These are nice summary statements. It's already on your outline, so you don't have to fill, write all of these in. If you look at the intro I wrote for you. We sow to the Spirit. Here's a number of ways that we do that, just to make it clear. When we walk by the Spirit, not by our old nature. And how do you walk by the Spirit? You hear the Word of God, and that opens your mind up to the Holy Spirit. You're, when we're led by the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we abide in Christ and in his word, and his words abide in us, that is, that is uh, how we walk in the spirit. We, when we walk in Christ, I just read Colossians this morning, that is so good, put off the old nature, put on the new nature. These are deliberate choices to, to choose to think God's thoughts as, we, as they're revealed to us in the word. We walk in the spirit, we sow to the spirit when we set our minds on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Easier said than done. Man, our, our minds are very earthly-minded to the point where we can have no room for heavenly thinking, to think about eternity, to think about tomorrow, to think about things that are just eternal in value and in nature. But we're to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. And then we're to present our bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what the will of God is, his perfect perfect will. Well, the third thing I want to mention this morning as we come back to Galatians 5, excuse me, 6, 7, and 8, I want to move you on to the next verses, 9 and 10, as I close this particular message down. Bring up the next screen. The Christian life is an opportunity to do good to all people, especially to the family of God. I'm going to get to the text here. It takes me longer on an iPad than it does in the Bible. Let's see here, in a paper one. But here we go. Let's pick it up where we left off. As we sow to the Spirit, at times we get weary. And Paul knew that more than any of us here. He sowed his life to the, to the work of God, and he was beat up for it. He was, he was almost killed for it. Eventually he was martyred for it. But here's what he says in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Easy to give up, isn't it? You get tired. I get tired. We can say, man, this Christian business is tough. We can get impatient, friends, with the length of time it takes to reap the blessings that come from following the Lord. We can want instant results. A man, a Puritan, named John Brown, said this, Many Christians, looking at this text, would sow and reap the same day. You know? We walk out of here, we hear a sermon that tells us to sow to the Spirit, we go, oh, okay. And we start to begin to do that. We really begin to apply it. But then we get to the end of the day, we go, now where's the payoff? I want to see it. Any of you ever planted a vegetable garden in May or June, and you ran out there at the end of the day to see if anything's coming up yet? <laughs> Has that ever happened? I don't know if it's ever, ever happened. I don't think you'd see it the next day or the next day. But if you planted good seed and if you're you know, treating it right, you're watering it and it's getting some sun, it's going to grow. And uh, that little plant is going to produce so many plants, you're going to be giving zucchinis away like us or, or tomatoes or whatever it is. You're going to, you know, what in the world? This is going crazy. You know, in the spiritual life, it's like that. You sow good seed. You sow to the Spirit, but be a realist. Don't think God's going to grow that right in front of your eyes and say, here's your reward, son. Here's your reward, daughter. 
Now, you might see the blessings pretty reasonably soon. You might. And you may not see some of them until eternity. I think that's the biblical view of this. The real issue is not to when do we see these fruits, when do, we, when do we get a harvest, Lord, but are we sowing the right seed? Am I sowing the right seed every day? Or am I sowing bad seed? Because that's going to grow too. If I'm planting in the wrong garden, that's going to grow. And then I've got to deal with that. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. And when he says doing good, he's talking about sowing to the Spirit. Don't grow weary in doing that. Remember, there will be a harvest. Some of it in this life, some of it in the next. So then, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Now that word opportunity, as Paul uses it in the Greek, is not the random opportunities to do something nice for somebody. Nothing wrong with that. Random acts of kindness. But you know what he's doing with that word in the Greek, the word opportunity, the way it should be understood by us? He's talking about your, your whole life as a Christian. He says, you got one shot. Your opportunity isn't the, the few little things you get to do today for the king, which, which you, you and I should look at and do. But he's really looking at a macro picture. He's saying, you got one shot. You've got one opportunity here, really, to set your trajectory on sowing seed, sowing, sowing good seed or bad seed. And he says, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. You better sow the right seed right now. You've got one shot. You've got one big opportunity. It might be another 10 years long, 20 years, two years. We don't know. He's saying, this is it. Today's the day. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life, he says. So don't sow to the flesh. Let it sow to the spirit. And then let us do good to everyone. And so that means the non-Christian that doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe in God, doesn't want anything to do with God. He says, he says kill them with kindness. Love them. Show the love of Jesus to them. One way to help quell some of the criticism of people who don't believe in Christ, who, who dislike Christians, one way to quell some of the criticism is just to do good for them to do good to them without any expectation of reward. That's pretty hard to argue with, pretty hard to fight when we're just there to help people. We don't care who they are. We don't care if they follow Jesus Christ or not. We just love them because God does. And when we live that out, that no argument wins people into heaven, but a life that's living, living the love of Jesus out will. That many times will. And so we get to hopefully the end of our days eventually, whether that's near or far for you and me, and hopefully you and I will say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Friend, what kind of seed are you sowing today? Please, please consider afresh. Are you sowing to the Spirit? Please be careful that we're not self-deceived, that you're not self-deceived, that we're, we're thinking we don't have to really sow to the Spirit, we can live like we want. No, we need to sow to the Spirit. And we're going to reap whatever we're sowing. We'll know soon enough. And I need to close, but I want to close with this quote from C.T. Studd, an Englishman who left a very uh, stellar career in sports to go become a missionary for Jesus. He wrote this little poem. It's, there's a lot more to it than I'm going to read. And you've probably heard parts of this. I'll just give you the first two verses. C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon 
will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It challenges us, encourages us to sow to the Spirit, knowing that we will reap a harvest. And you've given us all the equipment we need to do it, an understanding mind of, of you through your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit's power and to overcome our weaknesses, our tendencies to do, to do things that aren't sowing to the Spirit. God, would you help us to take new steps, even in this new week? And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor. I thank you for the eternal rewards and the temporary rewards that those dear ones right here in this room are going to reap someday because they're choosing well. They're planting in the right field. God, I, I pray you'd help us each to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you and blessings.